Hello and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host Steph and joining me are Milo and, uh, haha, no, fooled you, it's just me and Milo this week. Hello, mate. Hello. <laughs> mm, we're going we're gonna to double up on uh, our listeners and uh, barrage them with our wit, repartee and devastating humour. I've already said wit, haven't I? I've already blown it, haven't I? Oh God, it's already collapsing, folks. <laughs> Let's just get on with it. I've... Anyway, we're going to have too much fun with this. You can see, look, this one, uh, this, this, this game, the game we're going to talk about today was always going to be tasty in several different ways. And thus it proved as Spurs ran out two one winners over Brighton at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in a match which saw both managers sent off two goals disallowed and one of the more baffling non penalty decisions of the season. Uh, you know, it was spicy. There's, I can't deny that. And it was, uh, that, that was established on the touchline before the kickoff as, uh, bright manager Roberto De Zerbi and our own Christian Stellini exchanged some passionate views with fingers and scowls flying. Milo, we're going to be breaking it all down for everyone, aren't we? Before embarking upon the week that was. You could manage to get through all that and you didn't mention that Sonny scored his 100th goal for us. Which just goes to show you what an absolute plonker I am. <laughs> Right. I mean, that is just plonker level. Like, uh, it's awful. And I, I, I apologize to the world for denying Sonny his glory in our opening monologue. Well said, Milo. His hundredth goal. Not bad for a tap in, was it? But we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. All right. I'll do a drum roll. What did we think of the team selection? <laughs> It's brilliant. I love this question because right now, more than ever, it gives us absolutely nowhere to go when we start, does it really? Well, the team selection was the same as last week. The only change <laughs> the only change was Richarlison on the bench for Mora, which is a positive. It is. Yeah, so I like the team selection. It was better than last week. There we go. Yeah. I yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And 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 look, I mean let's just uh as we do. Uh, let's just generally talk about you know how we played with this you know team selection shape that I think we've we're all fairly familiar with at this point. Um, you know, was the, did you sense any improvement in the performance? Or uh, well, the second part of that question—that's what I'm waiting for. Oh, how did we play? Any improvement or changes from last week? I noticed some changes. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice some changes. So in the first half. Decky was playing a lot deeper. So certainly up until Sonny's goal, we were playing 3-5-2 with Son and Kane up top. Decky on the right of a midfield three with uh, Hoybier in the middle and uh, Skip to the left. Um, and it's a position that he was dropping into quite a lot through the first half. But you know, up and certainly up until the goal, that was yeah, our main, our main, our main uh, formation. After the goal, we did drop back more into a, our usual 4 5 one and um and 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 seed possession more but there's definitely a change there um and then in the second half um Sun and Kane switched places up until Danjuma came on Sonny was leading the line and Kane had moved to the left um which again I think is positive it's something we've been calling out for so I think that there's a few other bits and pieces that I'll pick up as we're talking through because I know that we've got questions that relate to some of the some of these points but there's definitely evidence there of changes or things we've been working on on the training ground and most of them are things that we've we've talked about or called for yeah, I mean, you could see that Sonny was taking up a slightly more, shall we say, front to goal, uh, position from the start. I mean, he had that early Maisie run, which, uh, admittedly came from a slightly deeper position, but nonetheless, he's, he, he's, you know, he's tearing forward at speed. 
um, giving him the confidence. And of course, he's you know, he's in the right place to pick up that pass from Perisic, seemingly innocuous pass. Let's uh, let me ask you. I mean, when you saw him shape up, and when you saw Brighton sort of sit off him a, a little bit, I mean, I know if that's me, I'm looking at my defence to to close down a player of that quality a little more. But nonetheless. We can take nothing away from the strike. It's, but uh, I, I just, you know, primarily, do you think he, his confidence was up having made that earlier run? Do you think he felt more part of the game than usual? I mean, I, I mean, those are the kind of connections that you make and I don't see. So I think you'd always look at confidence or those kind of things or one thing sure. having a knock-on effect on the other. I, the way I look at it is that he's playing in a front two. Um, he's more advanced. He's getting Which is where those, we want him. He's getting right? into those positions more. Yeah. Um, and... So, yeah, I think, so that's what I would see. And I think for the goal, it's the classic sunny goal. It's, it's one that we haven't seen yeah. enough of this season, but starting yeah. out wide, running across the box and then getting that curling shot in. Um, and the keeper's nowhere near it. It's, it's, it's the classic sunny goal. When he retires, you'll get a montage and there'll be, you know, a, a five minute montage of his highlights and half of them will be goals like that from, you know, so. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not. You know, not to toot a horn, I mean, and I'm sure that I was among many thousands uh, watching who thought the same, but the second it left his boot, I'm like, that's in. I mean, it just mm. had everything. It was, had the shift, the cut, everything. What a, what a fantastic goal. And as you said, it was his 100th goal. Yeah. And, but, but I think what it does say is why haven't we get, been getting him into those positions all wow. season? Because he's one of the most dangerous players in the league from there and he's one of the one of the least effective in the league in his own half with his back to goal trying to you know trying to create something from deep it's just it's insanity and uh, it is you, you've got to find ways of getting him into those positions because he's a real threat yeah i mean and i think we'll probably get into this a little later i mean it's it's it's, it's when stubbornness and inflexibility meet uh you know meet evidence to the contrary and uh, well you wouldn't need evidence to the contrary as you quite rightly said anyone who's watched son for the last five six seven seasons will know that he is far better when he's playing <laughs> on mm. the front foot and when he's uh closer to the opposition goal what what, what a surprise <laughs> I mean, uh, having said that we go ahead and you know brighton did uh you know that look brighton are a really really well set up team um you know that they they, they they like to keep the ball they like to they like to own the game. They certainly started to uh, pass around us with increasing ease. Um, I think it's fair to say that, you know, there were passing errors from, from us in the first half. They were pressuring very well. I mean, for Dyer, Hoiberg, Romero all made um, mistakes. Uh, Eric got away with one in particular, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, you know, he had a mistake that led to the first of uh, three refereeing decisions we'll be talking about shortly. Uh, you know, can I ask you, do you think that these mistakes are also in part because of Hugo's just increasingly and glaringly poor distribution and that his lack of passing ability makes it much easier for a team like Brighton to force things and to force us into these mistakes? Do you think that that is a major factor here or are they just not playing well? Um, so I think a lot of the kind of loose possession were for, from long balls out. So um, I mean, Dyer tried seven long balls in the game and none of them were accurate. None of them came off. Um, Romero tried four, one came off. Longley tried, oh, one and one actually, Longley. Um, Lloris, his pass accuracy in the game was 45.2%. So, Which is just, I mean, yeah. Um, so I, I think I mean, what we're not seeing, you know, if we talk about kind of inviting pressure and, you know, what have you, yeah, we are trying to see, we are trying to see um, possession. And I think, um, you know, when we talked about, the Everton game on Monday, 
I think yeah, we talked about um, kind of mentality. We talked about fitness, but I think the, the the bit we overlooked and we probably should have covered actually is is actually an intentional tactic. You know, we, the idea is to give possession to the other side and then try to rob them a break and break quickly. Um, so yeah, after the goal, we are dropping back. You know, we, we said you know dropped into our usual four five one. Sorry, four five four one. Um, and we are looking to do that. What we're not seeing though, um. You know, we we saw last season was those neat little patterns to play out of that, and you it's it's a bit messy, and then you get a, a hopeful long ball, and then that long ball comes back at you, and I think that's the problem we've got there. We're not really seeing um you know, the, the the automations, those you know those those practiced routines in order to work our way out from deep, and and I think that's you know one of the big problems we've got, and partly that might be down to those being found out, but yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, and I mean that that it, it's it is the main problem. It's sort of like why I think everyone watching us right now, uh, you know, of a blue and white persuasion, is wondering why we continue to persevere with a tactic that increasingly spotlights the frailties that we have. Uh, because, as you're saying, you know, you it, that system requires such precision to play out, and it requires a really, really good, quick, fast touch. And we're looking to players that week in, week out are making mistakes in those areas I mean, and you just I mean, wonder why we keep persevering because we haven't got the players to play any other way you know we've got a team that's been built over the last three managers to be to seed possession we haven't got players who can dominate possession um and you know this is the challenge that we face in the summer if we want to bring in a more attack-minded coach or a player that wants a coach that wants to be more positive with the ball then we're going to have to see you know a huge turnover in our side because you know the players we've got we've got loads of really good um harrying players we've got loads of good players at pressing we've got loads of good players who've got um you know campbell off you know decent passing but they're not um the kind of metronome they're the kind of players who hold onto a ball and and you know just you know, soak up pressure we haven't really got those type of players no and so i think you know what you know, really we've got to see out the season best as we can finish higher high, as high up the league as we we can and then be brutally honest when it comes to the squad evaluation at the end and you know however good players might have been for us in the past or you know how much we like them we're going to have to accept that some of those players are going to have to go because they're not suited to where i hope we're going um and yeah. you know and, and also that those changes we're not going to be able to do overnight you can't just go from yeah you know the people i think people get a bit fixated on formations you know two people talking about you know playing a back four or a three man midfield or you know what have you and actually i don't think the formation necessarily matters too much because there's strengths and weaknesses in any formation i think the issue we've got is that we're we, you know we are seeding possession we're giving away the ball and we don't seek to control the ball or dominate that and i think you know whatever whatever formation we end up playing what we need to do is we need to use the ball better and uh, and control games and you can do that in any formation really i'll bring this question forward because i think it's a, a relevant time to do it and it, mm. i'll ask you i'll ask you this would you uh consider because I've thought about this and I've thought, wow, I wonder if this could work. And I know that you are, uh, you know, an avid tactician. Um, I enjoy tactics, but you're an avid tactician. I mean, would you entertain at this point, looking at the balance of our squad and where our strengths are and where our weaknesses are and where the form is, would you entertain uh, a five-man midfield with Saar in there and a two up front 
put Decky on the bench and have Pierre like be the most advanced midfielder, given that he is the person who generally seems to operate in our midfield, seems to have more of an eye for the for, for you know a space and a pass you know in the last 30, 40 yards than, than any of our other midfield players, and also given that Decky's off form. Um, no, I wouldn't. I mean, I don't think I. I... <laughs> I don't particularly like Hoybier at the base of midfield um, no. because I, I don't think he's good enough receiving the ball under pressure. No. And um, I, I just think he's too unreliable there. But I wouldn't want um, him to be our main creative outlet either because I just don't think he's good enough. Um, so, no, I wouldn't be um, wouldn't be swapping Decky for Hoybier in terms Even of... Even given Decky's form right now? I mean, I'm um, just talking the next few games. I mean, I'm not talking about a lifetime change. I'm, just, I mean, as I, you say, making the best of what we've got. I mean, I think the problem we've got is that... I mean, I think the team would be less creative than what you're talking what you're talking about. And you've got to bear in mind that, as I said, we're not looking to try and win midfield battles. We're looking to see right. control in midfield and then win the ball back deep and then and spring attacks. Right. I don't think what you're talking about would help with that. It would put additional pressure onto our wing backs because there's no creativity coming anywhere else. And one of the things to watch with Decky, I think, is whenever he gets the ball, you've got three players around him and he's getting smothered out of games. Yeah. And I think we probably need to support him better and and give him uh, easier balls out and give him um, passes so he can you know he can pass and run. Um, but again, I don't think uh, okay. I don't think Hoybier. Yeah, I, just, I I think we'd be incredibly flat if Hoybier's our main creative output. Yeah, no, I mean he's not. Again, it would be like you know an sort of emergency thing. But uh, but I'm, I no no I appreciate what you're saying, and I think it, I think it's I'm, just it's interesting I'm, to discuss. But you know, if yeah. you, if you're an opposing manager and you see that team sheet, what are you going to tell your team to do? Smother smother no. Hoybier, and Hoybier is a lot less capable than Decky on the ball with three men around him. Yeah, there's an argument for that for sure. But um, okay, let's look at Lewis Dunk's goal. I uh, I. I, I just, for the life of me, and I understand that we operate zones and so on and so forth from set pieces, but for the life of me, I don't really understand how, that being said, Lewis Dunk ends up being able to so, make that run completely unimpeded uh, and, 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 and ending up with, you know, a mismatch on the back post when when everyone finally realises he's there. So I mean, we're not zonal out, outside in that space, so we're zonal the space of the six-yard box. Yeah. In front of goal, but the, yeah. at the back it's not. We're we're going man for man. Um, yeah. It was a it was a screw up. No one picked him up. Right, um, and that's what it looked like to me. So it's not. Um, yeah, I, I I think it would be a mistake to say that was a you know an issue with zonal marking or something like that. You no. You know, if you look at all the rest of the uh, all the rest of the corners during the game, and you know, say I, I'd paid, I'd looked at that and then looked at what we were doing else yeah. uh, every other time, and every other time. We're looking to pick people up. One of the things I did notice, though, there was a there was a chance earlier in the game where Matoma ended up in exactly the same spot mm-hmm. and um, got a ball across. I think it was the it was when there was the claim for handball with Longley because Dyer cleared it and then yeah. comes off Longley and yeah, Matoma's coming up in exactly the same spot. They'd obviously identified it as a weakness and uh, yeah, and with great success because that was probably one of the easiest goals that Lewis Dunks get a score for Brighton. Uh, it was uh, extraordinarily easy. Um, I, I think it's probably also, I mean, again, as we discussed before we started recording, we're not going to go through this game in, the, in, in a linear fashion. Um, you couldn't, it was not that sort of game. The officials came in for a lot of, uh, post-match analysis. Uh, I think that's fair to say, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's also fair to say that Brighton were probably, uh, well, 
not probably Brighton were on the receiving end of, of of all of the controversy. Really, I mean, we didn't we didn't have any claims for anything much. Uh, Brighton had several. I mean, you've got the first Mitoma goal, uh, which was given as a handball. You've got Welbeck's disallowed goal, which was given as a handball, um, you know, deflection uh, handball, one of those like tipping it with his hand jobs. Uh, not Welbeck. I forgot who it came off, actually. Um, you've got Mitoma uh, being tripped in the box uh, when the score was 1-1. Uh, it's three very clear decisions. And there's also, if you wanted to be uh, really spiky about it on the South Coast, you would also say that uh, that man Lewis Dunk again was a... Uh, <laughs> was grabbed and pulled down uh, in the penalty box uh, for what could have been uh, a, you know, a pull and shove or whatever penalty. What do we What do we think? I mean, I like Stuart Atwell as a ref. I think he's very decisive and I think he actually uh, generally seems to carry a very good air of authority. I mean, I, look, obviously I liked him a lot <laughs> after 95 minutes yesterday, but it wasn't just him, was it? VAR was heavily involved. So, yeah, I mean, I think you've got to look at um... – yeah, what the on-field decisions were and then what, what VAR's looking at. So the first, the Matoma goal, um, the assistant referee had signaled that he thought it was a handball. So that was that was the on-field decision. And then they're looking for evidence, clear evidence that it wasn't. Um, and he de- it definitely hits his arm. Um, I, I think it hits the upper arm, um, which, you know, as we've <laughs> covered at length numerous times when we've been talking about, uh, about offsides, Steph, that that's a, you know, the upper arm is a part of the body you can score from. So I, I thought it, I thought it wasn't a handball when I, when I first saw it, but he, he does move towards it. So it's, it's possible that he catches it, you know, you know, controls it elsewhere. It's not clear from the replays I've seen. Uh, but if it's not clear, then they will stick with the on-field decision. Right. Um, and I think that's probably what's happened there. Um, the Welbeck disallowed goal. I think that's clearly a handball ball because he does he moves his arm towards it, um, and, and um, yeah, and it goes you know it, it goes in. Well, um, I have to say, just to interrupt you there. By the way, I wish Hugo had actually saved it. I, I mean, I, I think again. I look at it. I know it's a deflection, but I mean, I, I'm sorry. You've got to stop that. You've got to stop it. Surely. I, I do. I do wonder how much of the deflection. Kind of change the trajectory, so whether he would have saved it if it had been, if, yeah. if, you know, if the shot had gone in. But, um, and then, yeah, the, the Matoma, Matoma trip where Hoybier well, treads on his toes. Um, yeah, you see them given all the time. Um, you know, if it was us, I think it should be a penalty. Um, I think, you know, but then, you know, we got a penalty for, um, Sars trip, you know, kick that wasn't against Southampton. You know, it's not as if, you know, we've been strangers to, Kind of decisions going against us this season, um, and wow. you know, I, I, yeah, I, you know, I think it, I think it probably, I think it probably should be a, a penalty, but um, you know, I kind of feel all the kind of pissing and moaning about it um, when you know we get we've had plenty of decisions go against us, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's what we were saying uh, before we, we, we came on air. I mean, there's a sense, there's almost this faux rage that erupted over this game uh, generally. And we'll get into another catalytic uh, point for that or reason for that uh, a little later in the discussion. But I can't, I can't be having with all this fake rage. Look, sometimes games happen where you have two or three decisions. Do you remember the game at Southampton last season mm-hmm. when we had a, a goal disallowed for, I, I mean, I'm not sure. I think maybe Harry, maybe Harry Kane's nostril was considered. I'm not sure. And then you had Fraser Force 
Leicester scoring an own goal and it was given as a foul. I mean, sometimes you do have games where there are multiple bad decisions against you and we all piss and moan about it and we all move on. But I do think the general, that it seems like the football sense of faux rage right now is huge. I mean, I couldn't believe it. They, they uh, yeah. were not great decisions, and I feel sorry for Brighton. I understand their chagrin, but these things do shake out. Uh, yeah, I mean, football's faux rage. I've had it this week with everyone moaning about Kane's go, you know, being oh. slapped in the face last week, and then their kind of reaction to that. And you know, if we're going to replay well every 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 single incident um, to see who's making a meal of it, then you know, we we we'll be lining up twenty players every weekend for the for you know media outrage and. Right. So it's yeah, poor, it's, isn't it? It's so poor, isn't it? I mean, actually, I know I'm, I'm a big Sean Dyche fan, as you know, Sean Dyche fan, I should say. Uh, but I, I certainly have to say, uh, Mr. Dyche has lost a few uh, degrees of, uh, of of joy and, and happiness for me. Not that he cares, but, uh, you know, he brings it up again. Like he hopes his eyelash is okay. I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to actually someone to do to Sean Dyche what was done to Harry Kane. Why don't someone but, grab him by, by, by the, the face and just look, it, it, it happened. It but, happened. But, but you know that what he's actually trying to do is take pressure off his player. One of his players has got yeah. straight red. They're out for yeah. three games, yeah. and he's he's trying to take pressure off him by um, yes, you know, by downplaying it and and yeah, you know, playing up the actions of the other player. And yeah. you know that's his job. It's it, it, you know, I, I'm sure. It's not the media's job to imp- amplify it. And they've been all going on about it all week from the commentator well, Ian, Ian Dark on it, his Twitter account, which it, I have to say, uh, that it reminds me further why I, I need to dance into Twitter only a few times a week because uh, seeing Ian Dark's re- repeated uh, piffle uh, on this has just really got my goat. I mean, I, I think I'm just like you. It's just like, this is just ridiculous, all of it. And we're going to have but it with it, Mitomas. It, the Mitoma foul now is going to probably cost Brighton Champions League and how different it would have been. It's a decision and it didn't go your way. And I'm terribly sorry. And I'm sorry there are a couple of handballs in there that were given technically. I'm, I'm sorry, but it happens to everyone, doesn't it? I mean, That's the point. I mean, it is the media's job to make a meal of it because their job is to get clicks, you know, get readers, to get viewers, to get listeners. And there's... You know, X number of stories that get hyped each week, and and that's you know what they talk about. You know, tomorrow it's going to be an assistant referee elbowing um, Robertson. Robertson. You know, that's going to be the story this week, and then probably you know how how hard done by you know Brighton are as well. Yeah. But each week there's a you know a handful of stories that get spun out and uh, and you know uh, you know made too big and 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 hyped up and everyone. You know, kind of it goes overboard on them, and then it all moves on again. Yeah, I suppose you're right. I just, you know, it does it does get me going. And I think the thing that really tipped me over with this, and I mean, to your point, uh, you know, football hypocrisy being what it is, we're probably in about the the eighth minute of discussing all these decisions and adding our <laughs> and adding our platform of faux rage to the faux rage. So, but I mean, I will say this: when the PGMOL are issuing apologies, and you know, it's very nice of Howard Webb to apologise. By the way, Howard, I wish you'd apologised for all the terrible decisions you gave against Tottenham Hotspur when you were officiating at Old Trafford. Um, you know, I, I, what, are we going to have a PGMOL apology board now? I mean, are they going to start giving apologies each week? You can't, apo- I mean, when does this, when does this stop? 
you know, you can't, you're always going to forget an apology if you set the precedent of apologizing for mistakes. And then you're always going to have someone saying, well, you can apologize for that, but you can't apologize for this. It's beginning to resemble the Monty Python uh, complaints department sketch or the, you know, the argument uh, department sketch. I think they've had several of those, you know, where it's like, I have a complaint, you know, where, where are we going with this? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think if you're going to do it, then you've got to be even handed with it. Um, it feels a bit, um, yeah, feels a bit odd to me, really. But yes, it is odd, isn't it? Odd indeed. Um, but let's let's move to something that uh, was actually probably even odder in the uh, uh, you know the recent uh, history of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, and that was the sight of the lesser spotted uh, Danjuma coming on. And uh, look, don't worry, we are going to get into the incidents that that, that happened uh, just preceding Danjuma's introduction. We'll get there. Don't worry. Um, but let's stick to the football for a moment. Dan Juma came on. Um, did you notice the shift in, in energy and attitude uh, when he stepped on the pitch? No, I think I think it was pretty – it was the same beforehand. I think we had a couple of decent attacks before that. Um, I think, you know, what was – it was good to see a positive substitution. It was good to see someone – you know, he's a good player. It's good to see him again. I mean, bizarrely, that was his home debut. Um Amazing. So, you know, the player who's been with us for, well, this will be his third, you know, third, fourth month with us now. Um, so I thought from that point, it was, it was good. You know, he's quick. He's, you know, the pressing stepped up a bit with, with him, him on. But I think we've been doing most of that stuff before. It's just, you've got fresh legs. And, um, you know, I think, you know, the other change, obviously, is it meant that Kane moved up top and, uh, Sun went to the right and Dan Juma to the left. So we'd, we'd, we'd changed that round. But no, I, I, I thought, um, we've been doing most of that stuff before. It's just, yeah, just a bit, you know, it, someone fresh. It felt like the crowd got energized oh, a little bit by definitely. seeing him appear. And it feels like any little tiny advantage we can get uh, right now in the running is, 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 is something that is, you know, you grasp and it, just felt like that. You remember when he made that early charge on mm. the keeper and everyone just felt the energy lifted. And then a few minutes later, um, you know, from closing down and, and, and Christian Romero, uh, being the, 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 the key instigator, but, but, you know, winning the ball high, um, you know, ball breaks to, to, to Hoybeer, who I have to say, uh, makes an excellent pass to the back of the mm -hmm. box for Harry, who thumps home a goal, which was, uh, probably a harder shot to put away than one he'd missed 10 minutes earlier. Or five minutes earlier, it was a lovely, lovely goal. He's in acres of space, though. No, yeah. no, no. Brighton player followed him. No one followed that no. run, and um, just hanging back there on the edge of the box and and, and finding that space was you know really, really clever. And no, you're right. Hobie did well to find him. Um, yeah. It was it was a lovely goal. Yeah, really well constructed. Um, I think now maybe is the time that we'll uh, start to address some of the um, uh, shenanigans. Would be the word that best applies. Um, the question here is, and I'll read it as it was said, as it was written. Deserby watch. What do you think of how, uh, of what he's done at Brighton and how he has done at Brighton? And would you like to see him at Spurs? And of course, this is going to, uh, I think, open up into a couple of discussions about what happened mm. uh, at the Tunnel Hotspur Stadium. So, uh, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you run with this for a little bit? <laughs> so, I, mean, I think, I think he's a smart coach. I think he's done a good job at uh, Brighton. I mean, evidently the reason for his pissiness in this game is that he'd misinterpreted something that Stellini said in the build-up to the game where Stellini had said that De Zerbi had built on Potter's work and De Zerbi took this the wrong way, which is why he was kind of finger-jabbing before the first whistle and then um, kind of never calmed down after that. Um, I think, I mean, for me, 
it made me less keen on him as a potential next Spurs manager. I, I think he was, for me, he was always in that kind of second tier. You know, so you know, my my strong preferences for Potts or, or Nagelsmann, and then there's a kind of you know, kind of a, a group of coaches just below that who are all kind of smart and you know up and coming but maybe not quite so experienced and you know he was in that camp for me I think I would be a bit worried about someone who was getting so rattled by something so minor um and I think that if he was a if he was a bigger club I think other managers would start itching at that and and picking at that scab and winding him up and if they if that's his reaction there then you know imagine he's going into a into a game against you know Guardiola or you know Conte or Mourinho or whoever it is when there's something riding on it because they'll just they'll just pick at that and have him um have him you know kind of bouncing off the ceiling and yeah I just don't I I was a little yeah, I was kind of underwhelmed by that. So, you know, tactically great, you know, obviously a smart coach with some really bright ideas. I think he probably needs a couple of more years in a job like Brighton to see whether um, whether that's a, a, a regular thing or or a one-off. Um, you know, interestingly, I, you know, I was mentioning to you earlier, I did a poll on Twitter earlier on today about asking people whether their opinion uh, of Deserbia changed, you know, yesterday it changed um, their view on his suitability for the job. And uh, 55% of... Um, People responding and say three hundred votes on it. Fifty five percent of people responding said that they wanted him less as a result of that, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'll 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 um, take on the tactical side first. <laughs> Surprisingly for me, <laughs> probably because I have a lot to say about the other. I mean, look, it's it's inarguable what he's uh, managed to continue at Brighton, and it is also inarguable that uh, this framework was put in, um, you know, by Paul Barber when he was there and Graham Potter. I mean, that's also uh, a fact. Whether Roberto De Zerbi likes it or not, that is a fact. He stepped into a club that's extremely well run, that that had, you know, some good players, and he's made some good additions too, no doubt. Mm-hmm. But he's continuing good work and fair play. Well done, Roberto De Zerbi. Good for you. And, you know, long may you reign at Brighton. Um, to allow Christian Stellini, a man who uh, I think he's probably, <laughs> as he himself said, he's, he's, he's managed two games in the Premier League. He, he's, he's trying to learn. To allow or to create this construct that allows Christian Stellini to live rent-free in your head <laughs> before the game is, is bizarre. I thought his behaviour before the game was bizarre. I thought what he outlined that he was potentially uh, offended about is just ludicrous and strikes me as a, a great concern. I mean, the, the alarm, uh, the alarms go off. That's that's there's something weird about getting that riled up. What we managed to see from the camera angles of him on the touchline. It appeared that he was doing absolutely nothing to deflate the situation. Uh, and I found myself during the game thinking, wow, this guy's making last season's Mikel Arteta look like the Dalai Lama. This is ridiculous. He's like dancing all over the place, getting angry, petulant. He looked really, just really out of control in, in a very sort of smug way. I, I couldn't get a grip on him. And that whole, um, you know, that whole melee, I mean, it was it was undignified to say the least. And and just in case anyone's wondering why both managers got sent off, because I certainly was, because I mean, Stellini was as far away from that uh, explosion in the second half as you could get. The official charge is apparently that, you know, there is a rule that says uh, if you as the, you know, first team manager coach 
do not control your technical area and your staff, uh, then you uh, get sent off. Now, look, I, I, rules are rules, and I understand that, but I just think it's absolutely ludicrous that Stellini, who's trying to stay as far away, gets roped in. Because, look, let's face it, if Stellini goes in to try and break that up, he's going to get sent off anyway because it's going to escalate and escalate. So something has to be done about the application of that rule. Uh, you know, Deserby was an agitator from the off, as were his staff. I thought his staff. So if that's how he sets up for a game, as you quite rightly said, uh, you know, my, under pressure, pff, I don't think he's got it. Interestingly, it looked like from, from our bench, as it, Mason was giving him both barrels. He was really firing it off. And I think the other one who was most involved was Alan Dixon, which is yeah, um, brilliant. Levy's that. brother-in-law. You know? I saw that. He was so, yeah. I, it's funny so, you say that. I watched some YouTube footage afterwards. Someone had hung, basically hung their phone, camera phone down over mm. the tunnel. You know, and there's five minutes of watching the players walk off the pitch and everything. And your man that you just mentioned, he's parade. He's looking. He's looking for it with someone. He's looking to have a go at more. There was some deep angst there for sure. And he wasn't, you know, and so you have to think, well, Deserby's obviously prepared his staff and his team to treat this in some way like a fight. And I just don't understand why you would do that. I mean, again, Stellini's pre-match press conference, yeah. I actually was, a f I was like, wow, don't talk this bloke up too much. You're making him sound like he's like, you know, Pep Guardiola. And it's, it's clearly not, not. It's not as if there's really any history between us as clubs or anything like that. It's not, you know, it's not that type of game, is it? I mean, I know St Stellini no. was um, certainly had a lot to say after they were both sent off when they were going down the tunnel and in the area, you know, towards the dressing rooms. He was, um, he, he was, he had lots to say then, but yeah, nothing on the touchline. So, yeah, Daniel missed just... a trick there. By the way, he could have sold. He could have had a quick sale of the. Uh, of, he could have had tunnel cam. He could have done mm. a quick tunnel cam sale there. But, <laughs> but yeah, just just an odd one. And yeah, I think I think Deserby probably. And I think he probably thinks this himself anyway. But I think he probably needs a couple of seasons at Brighton just to to find his feet. And I, I think we'd probably want to see whether this was a regular occurrence or a one-off. Although it's the second time this season he's been sent off, isn't it? And he's only been yes. here since he's only been here since the autumn. So yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I look, we don't need a guy like that at this club at this time. He's the opposite of what we need. We don't need another person who's going to explode at the first, you know, any real pressure. I mean, that's actually I should rephrase that. We don't need someone who's going to explode at pressure. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we've had enough drama, haven't we, over the last we few have. years? Should we yeah. just talk about one other coach briefly, though? Because Poch's yes. name was sung out loud, <sighs> loud during that second half. <laughs> and I was just wondering whether you thought that made it more likely that Levy might bring him back. I have to say, my one uh, one of the things that I've always felt with Daniel Levy is that when he feels under personal pressure, he will do what he feels is necessary to make right with the world. <clears throat> so by my own internal logical clock with a little bit of heart thrown in, I think it does not hurt that mm. eventual outcome. I think it, it certainly adds a little more fuel to that fire. It, it feels like it's building yeah, for real, so well. not just I, empty rumours. It feels like it's really starting to build. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at the kind of combination of the kind of athletic um, survey they did of fans where there's a very, very low confidence score in Levy. I think that kind of thing will smart him, even if, you know, you know, I'm not quite sure what the response rate for that was, but that's, I think that would, that would smart. 
then maybe you know we're going to go on and talk about this but scott munn coming in right. and then and then you're kind of the fans singing it you know really really audibly loudly and if that grows over the you know over the next few weeks i think that's the kind of thing they they might respond to and then sorry go on no, I mean, it's interesting. We mentioned uh, you know, Nagelsmann as well. I mean, Nagelsmann, you know, is, uh, he has he has uh, some personality chops, if you will. He has He's not afraid of uh, establishing himself a little bit, right? So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It just it feels like of all the candidates, Poch is – Poch just – it just feels like he fits. I mean, I've tried to apply a screen of logic to this. Of all the candidates that are out there, you know, let's say Poch hadn't – ever worked with us before hmm. i think i think he's i think he is the most qualified but i'm uh, uh, sorry you, you were going to say no I, do, I was just going to say in terms of kind of you saying about you think it's building um you know i mean i've talked to you i've mentioned to you a few times about how potch has been kind of flirting with us on instagram yeah. for most of this calendar year and there was a photo of him he's gone away with his coaching yeah. team and uh, they released a photo of him having or them having lunch with um, Ramon Plains um, last week, who um, Ramon Plains was with uh, Pocha Espanol and was sporting director at Spurs during Pocha's first season there and is one of the people who's being rumoured in parts of the press as a possible replacement for Paratici. So you know, I'm sure that they're aware of that and that they've taken a photo and put that out there, the same as they put photos of him having dinner with Steve Hitchin a few, you know, a month, a few months ago, or him walking his dog around Enfield a few months ago and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then there's another one with uh, Jesus Perez, Instagram, shared a photo on Instagram of him looking at a new uh, tactical database that is available to coaches. Uh, and then other tabs in his browser up were stories about um, Spurs manager Hunt and uh, and Paratici. So I don't know. I think everyone's gone a bit Agatha Christie on this, and they're all kind of looking for uh, looking for clues. Um, but they're they're definitely definitely flirting with us. Yeah, and I mean, look, this is such a strange end to the season for for us. I mean, we're sort of clinging in with hope for the top four, but it just it's you know, and then we want we want conclusion, we want answers. I, I agree, it's all getting very. It it just feels strange, and it feels I don't want to create. The, the absolute that Pochettino is coming back because I'm well aware of my own emotional uh, involvement and vulnerability in, in doing that. So, you know, uh, equally, I found myself this week thinking about, uh, you know, Vincent Company. Uh, well, how would that strike me as an option? So I'm trying to keep, I'm trying to keep my thoughts open, but it is hard, isn't it? And, and in response to your question, once again, um, I think logic dictates uh, that, you know, it's not a sure thing, but the signs are there if you want to pick them up. I mean, you can pick them up. And I think you're right. The Scott Munn uh, uh, situation, which we'll talk about in a minute, I think does play into it as well. So, Daniel, feel suitably offended uh, uh, by everyone and understand what you can do to make things better. It's a binary thing. We're telling you. We're helping you, Daniel. We're helping you here. Just make it better. Get him back in, please. Anyway. um, So this, this rather bizarre game, <laughs> which, by the way... Tottenham Hotspur won two goals to one over a fellow rival for the Champions League uh, fight, uh, Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, you wouldn't think it. At the end of the game, you'd almost have forgotten that, you know, Sonny scored his 100th goal. Kane and Son are back on the score sheet together. We've beaten, a, you know, there's a six-pointer in, in those terms. Um, so let's try and bring a little bit of rationale to this with, uh, with our one positive and one negative in 30 seconds. Let's try and frame it. Um, 
So the highlight of the game for me was Perisic's highlights, which I thought you might pick up on last week. Yeah. He came back from international duty with some mighty fine, yeah. um, I mean, a, you know, a, a throwback 20 or 30 years yeah. star-wise uh, highlights. Yeah. I, I know you like to talk about haircuts, so yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, surpri- I'm surprised you passed up on that. Um, that aside, I think the positive, I think we're more, you know, I talked about uh, against the Everton game where I think in the first half we were on the front foot a bit more. I think we were in this, you know, st- still accepting that, you know, we're a t- team that seeds possession, but we are looking to press more. We are getting forward a bit quicker. There were some nice moves. I think, I also think we're seeing some nice link up play between Perisic and, and, and Porro. And I think, you know, again, Porro came close to, Getting a goal, had you know, getting a decent chance from a Perisic cross. Yeah, um, I think Perisic was. I think this is probably his best game for us for some time. I've been pretty critical of him this season, but I thought he was okay. So yeah, I think those are the positives. Negatives. Um, so we still keep making heavy weather of it. We're, we're giving away too many decent chances. Um, I think maybe you know some of the stats and the kind of the focus on the decisions that didn't go Brighton's way uh, make it you know make it look like the game was maybe not quite as balanced as it was. I think, you know, I think we were, I think it was a bit more even than, than a lot of people are saying, but we're still giving away too many chances. Yeah. I mean, in my defense, uh, cause it is actually a, a heinous error on my part, given my uh, pedigree as a man who can spot a hairstyle on a football pitch. I would have mentioned, uh, Perisic's hair last week, but I was so, I was so gutted by what had happened that it just, I mean, I remember seeing it when he came, when he tried out and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to have a laugh with that on the pod tonight, but there wasn't much laughter to be had after that. So that is why, uh, it faded from memory. But yes, I did note actually that it was still there and it was funny you say that. I was, I'd start find myself wondering. It's, I'm like, well, I wonder if he's got a Pringle, a Pringle in his in his back pocket. And I wonder if he's got some fairer trousers somewhere. I wonder if he's actually a soul boy or something. Like that. Like, <laughs> it was the kind of highlights that my mum had in the, in the late '80s. So I don't know about. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, got, he reminded me, he looked a bit like a, a soul boy. But, uh, you know, look, when a player's dying their hair, it means they're still happy with life. That's how I look at it. And it's nice to see that despite an, an up and down season, you know, Yvonne feels sufficiently buoyant to, uh, you know, to make himself look good when he runs out on the football pitch. And yes, a positive was his performance, I will agree. I think my, my biggest positive overall, though, I have to say, is that, uh, I, you know, I'm really happy to see that the players are, are up for it. They're giving it. They're, they're going for this. They, they, you know, it's they're not just playing it out. It would be very easy, I think, in our situation for some players to play it out. You know, half of them don't know if they're going to be there next season. You know, th- this would be a moment where players can hide if they want. And I do not think any player is hiding right now at our club. I think they're all giving it the best they've got. Um, and, and, and that makes me happy. You know, they're not folding. And I, be- and that's why I, I believe that we're still in with a good shout of fourth. And I really do. I think it can and happen. I, and I think we've taken Brighton out of contention for fourth with this game. Yes. I think it's too big a gap for them now. So it becomes yes. a three horse race for those last two, third, right. third and fourth. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, we took Brighton out of it. Yes, there were some bad refereeing decisions, Mr. Deserby, but we did play well. It was an even game. We scored one more goal than you. They were both very good goals. Your marking was shit for the second goal. You didn't pick up Harry Kane. So, you know, instead of getting together with your club and doing a five-point checklist of complaints for the PGMOL, which I've read that you're going to do, why not just 
know why not just say we lost a tight game and decisions go against us so um the negative uh again i think it's the same as what you said i i feel that you know we just do we, we do tend to construct our own problems i mean you know dyer's ball <laughs> Dyer's ball into Hoybier that led to the disallowed goal was mm. awful. And you're just looking, and I love him. As you know, I'm sort of a, it's a sort of a, a strange thing. I, I, I feel the need to defend him, and I have to sort of back off it because he's not been great in spots this season for sure. And you're just looking, and you're like, you're just undoing every good step you've made for the previous like 20 minutes with that one pass, you know. And then you look at yeah, Hoybier again, like, you know, he himself bad pass and 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 then you know a wild whiff at a clearance in our own penalty box i mean yeah i just i, I don't know what we can do to cut those things out i really don't sell them but i <laughs> yeah i just i do wish that we could you know keep it simple you've got to say i mean i hope that ben davis gets fit uh before the end of the season he would uh i think bring a little bit of stability to yeah. the situation but anyway, one thing I forgot to mention earlier on when we were talking about kind of playing out from the back, there was one interesting bit. I think it was on 61 minutes where Hoybier dropped into alongside Dyer. So we only had, so Hoybier and Dyer in this phase playing out from the back were effectively playing as centre backs with Skip just in front of them making a triangle. And Longley went out to what you'd say was a left back position. And Romero is pushed up into a kind of inside. Uh, inside channel in in midfield in quite an advanced position and again I think there's evidence there that we're trying things we you know I think on the coaching field I think they realize that there's there's a mistake there on that occasion it didn't work uh, there Hoybier tried a long pass to Romero and um and it was intercepted and and Brighton came back at us but it's interesting that we're trying these things and there's different ideas there I think it's very important that you point that out, Milo, because once again, you know, narratives being what they are, people sink into the comfort uh, of, of of the bullshit that a narrative can create. And of course, you know, Stellini's getting pelters left and right. And if you read some ludicrous comments, you know, it was the moment he got sent off, we scored our second goal. It's not a coincidence. Dan Juma came on. It is just bollocks. And I think it's really important that you pointed out that, you know, that, that, there are some things being tried and we also have to remember there is a massive injury list. We are missing some important players. So I think a little bit of love for Stellini at this point would not be, uh, you know, would not be remiss. I mean, you know, I I was personally very impressed with the way he, I mean, really been impressed with the way he carries himself. He carried himself superbly in the post-match conference. I thought, you know, he resisted any temptation to get dragged into that absolute rubbish from Deserby. And as you said, they are trying, they're trying little things here and there to get us further up the pitch and to get us playing, you know, as we want to see us play. Yeah, I mean, you know, if we're playing like this, you know, beginning next season under a different manager, I'm going to be fuming because, you know, this isn't how I want us to play. But, um, you know, given the injury list, given the way that, you know, the players have been trained and the shape of the squad, which is, you know, geared entirely towards, you know, firstly, you know, playing with wing backs and also, you know, seeding possession, I think, you know, the options options are limited up until the summer. So, yeah. And it brings back the whole, uh, and I think this is the, maybe the final point that we can close with. I mean, it does bring back the whole point that as supporters, it, it, you know, you support the team and so on and so forth. We're not coaches. You know, it's all very fine for us to say, well, you know, it's 10 games. They've just come in and change it all. Well, I mean, you know, if someone <laughs> if someone comes into your job and you've got, you know, a, a, and you've got a, a, a six-week deadline to deliver a project and you have a method of delivering that project and someone says, well, no, don't do it that way. You've got to do it this way and change everything. That could be very confusing so you can't just wholesale changes don't work at this point of the season you have to be smart and work with what you've got i, I mean i think this is a point worth picking up actually i say it wasn't wasn't something we were planning to discuss but 
Uh, we'll just have to be quicker on the week that was. Uh, but yeah. I think, you know, when, when we do look at that squad balance and, you know, lots and lots of people are calling for a back four and it's the kind of the complaint you get every week. But we've got no one available really who's going to be comfortable playing in the left centre-back spot. You know, we've seen Dyer play there and he gets exposed. He gets turned too easily. He has to do too much one-on-one defending, which he isn't very good at anymore. With With Davis out, we haven't got a natural... Left backs, so you're talking either about you know playing long lay there. I don't know whether he can play there. You know, do we have any confidence in that? Is that better than where we're playing him now? Or Perisic, who we know would be poor in that position. And then you know you're still looking at that midfield, and as we were saying earlier on about you know Skip, Saar, and Hoybier, that's a stodgy midfield. So you know realistically, you know you're doing that. Okay, you bring Dan Juma in, who plays behind Kane, presumably, but to get the ball there. You're going to see a lot of long balls up to those players in order to do it yeah. because it's it's just going to get you know that and teams are going to you know target that left hand side of that defence because you've got Perisic and Dyer there. That's fucking happy days, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it is. An, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we stumbled upon this because it is far too easy to sit and say, well, you know, change shape and so on and so forth. But uh, uh, you know, as we've sort of been discussing on and off most of the season you know this squad doesn't really allow you to do too much more than what we're doing so it is incremental tweaks rather than wholesale changes that could be what gets us across the line um you know come come the end of may and gets us into the top four uh and wholesale changes i think would would probably at this point be really dangerous for an interim manager so uh, as as much as we don't maybe enjoy all that we I see in that this. regard <laughs> I mean, it's 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 painful uh, at times, you know. I, I think we're gonna. I think it's it is probably that the sensible way to go, as you said, for these last few games of the season. And as you said, you know, look, if we open the season next season with the same system with a different manager, I think that spitting feathers would be the least that we would be entitled uh, to be doing. So, yeah. Right. Should we do that week that was? Why don't we? Who wants to break that? Uh, who wants to break this good news? Well, let me do it. Let, me, let me do it. Yes. So thanks to some good work from the supporters trust, the club have decided to freeze season ticket prices for next season and probably more importantly, delay the renewing and probably more importantly, delay the renewal date until after the end of the season. I hope you leave that in. <laughs> the blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's yeah, you're good. It's very good. Tape spules, our sound effect. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty difficult. That's quite difficult to do, actually. I can't be impressed. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so at least at least people have got a chance to see, well, hopefully a better idea of who's going to be managing us next season and and what we, you know, what football we're going to be playing. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is a good result uh, for sure. I mean, I, I, what I did enjoy with the was the unofficial word that actually um, due to the supporters' trust uh, and general, um, you know, shall we say, worldly advice uh, that Daniel Levy actually did a U turn. They say mm. did a one eighty. Which plays into what we were talking about earlier when you said, you know, do you think that fans chanting for Potch's name and so on and so forth? Look, it just shows that, you know, he's he's not completely intransient like, when it comes to, to fan opinion. And he wants to make sure that he is not seen as an ogre, um, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a positive result. And again, a, the trust does get some abuse from people. But uh, I hope people will give them a thorough mm. thumbs up for their work here because this is pretty substantial work <laughs> in fairness, right? Yeah, absolutely. I would say the talk was was of it being, you know, a fairly substantial increase. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know it would say none of us like it. I would say, you know, prices are going up everywhere. You know, it's noticeable. You, you know, you have to do your weekly shop or whatever to see 
you know, <laughs> look look at your bills to see, see what's you know what's happening there, and you know, I'm sure. Uh, the operating costs for the club have increased, although you know, I suppose the flip side of that is that the um, you know stadium revenue, whilst important compared to TV and you know merchandise sales and everything else, is probably small fry. But um, you know they're not going to not going to be going hungry at uh, at uh, Lily White House. But yeah, it's um, you, you say that you say that. I've been thinking uh, thinking on the fly about what you're saying. I mean, I have noticed that I'm a great lover of uh, of cheese, as I know you yourself are, and we've discussed this in our time as uh, as, as you know as pod mates and and, and friends uh, off the pod. And I have noticed that my uh, my my yeah, the price of of, of a good you know, good cheese has, has gone up. Quite considerably, mm-hmm. a few dollars, you know, a few few dollars, a couple of quid a pound, and uh, it does make me wonder if if Daniel Levy's some sort of um, I don't know, is he some sort of build that cheese room then, isn't it? He ne- yeah, well, he never built it, did he? Did he see this coming? Did he see that you know cheese? I mean, the price of cheese alone in this era could have bankrupted the st- the club, couldn't it? Mm. <laughs> you never know. It could have been a could have been a bad move. So. Two good moves there from Daniel Levy. Then keeping the uh, freezing the season ticket prices and uh, and never having actually followed through on the cheese room. Well done, Daniel. That was this week's attempt at a cheap joke. <laughs> the game is about glory. Please let us know if you found it funny or if we should just fuck that sort of thing off in the future. Uh, anyway, shall we move on to Scott Munn? Mm. The name that was uh, not on the tip of anybody's tongue until he was announced Friday as joining the club in the summer as our chief football officer. He will take a seat on the board. And if Paratici, my attempt to say his name properly for the first time ever, returns from his leave of absence, he will report to Mr. Munn. Munn is currently chief executive of City Football Group China, having previously held the same position at Melbourne City FC. He'll be responsible for all footballing matters across both the men's women's teams and the academy. This could be further evidence of Levy stepping back from his direct involvement in the football side of the business. Um, and, and, and let me just, can I just throw this in quickly? Mm. Anyone who thinks that this is like, you know, a, a, a precedent and obvious sign that Ange Postacoglu is going to become manager, you know, stop it. Stop, stop it, please. This is just ridiculous. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a little bit dim. Um, it looks like a positive step, don't you think, uh, Milo? I mean, do you think he's is he Paratici's replacement? Is he something different? Let, let's discuss the the Mun appointment, shall we? Um, so, does it look like a positive appointment? Yes, this is the kind of thing that we've been calling for, you know, frequently for some time. You know, we've both been saying you know, how much we'd love Paul Barber to come in and come back to the club and and run the football side. You know, on the face of it, this looks like that type of appointment. And, you know, obviously, you know, the proof is further down the, down the road when, you know, how much control does Levy concede? How much does he, you know, it, and, and then also, you know, is Scott Munn any good? I don't know. You know, I, I would say that anyone working for, I'd be surprised if he was a mug working for Citigroup. You know, they're kind of one of the biggest of their you know, type in the world. They've, they've gone out and bought really good people. Um, and, you know, he's held roles in, you know, rugby league and Aussie rules and, you know, was on the Sydney, um, Olympic committee. So, you know, he's had high profile, you know, sporting positions in other sports as well as, as in football. Um, and, you know, I've seen some people criticizing, you know, saying that he hasn't had, you know, European experience. I think probably the test is, is whether he brings in good people to work around him. He doesn't need to be an expert on all of that. He, he needs to 
recruit and bring in decent people and have a good team around him and that's you know kind of the second part of the question is you know is he Paratici's replacement no he's something different um although I think when Paratici was first announced that you know it was said that he you know he he was overseeing kind of both men's women and the academy um and he he certainly played a part in the review that has you know created this new structure um but I don't think Munn is going to be a director of football. I don't think he's going to be out doing that. But it looks like he'll have the you know the scouting operation and the recruitment side of the club as well as you know, all the playing stuff reporting into him. So from that point of view, it's positive. And you know, again, you know, if you go back a week or so ago, we were all very worried about you know Levy and Paratici hiring our next manager because they've both got pretty dodgy track records of on that. Well, hopefully, we've got someone here. With a fresh set of eyes and you know, and you know, some fresh ideas, who can do that and t- takes those two out of the equation, and uh, let's hope he gets it right. Yeah, I, yeah, no, it's it's a really important point. Uh, the, the, his his role, um, you know, as it pertains to Daniel Levy's role at the club, and you know, it this seemed to me uh, when I started to drill down into it a little bit, it seemed very much the sort of appointment that is designed to separate the current board from communicating uh you know extensively on football matters it seemed like another step between the director of football and the board mm-hmm. um and you know given given the criticism that you know we give daniel levy uh, in terms of communication in footballing matters you know i i have to you know we don't know but it, it seems like that is a positive to have mm-hmm. someone who has you know the business side that you know Levy admires. The awareness of the sporting world that Scott Munn's history suggests he has in a commercial sense, but also just to have someone who maybe is a different type of communicator with the sporting director. And I think you're right. I think we will have another sporting director come in, director of football rather. Um, I, I, I can only see that as a positive. It seems like the beginning of a new thing. And, and when we talk about Poch, which we did earlier. This is the sort of appointment that gives me hope that perhaps Poch in the end can come back. Because as as we've discussed, you know, and I think you agree with me, um, but my feeling about Poch is that, you know, one of the things that would stop him from coming back is if it's the same old bullshit at the top again. He doesn't want to deal with those oh. so same people. And this feels like it could be a move to make sure that doesn't happen. That that That's got to be good. I mean, for anyone coming in, right? You're not going to be subjected to what your predecessor has in, in with regards to communication with the board. So, yeah, and we know with Conte towards the end, it was Peratici who was dealing with him. He he yeah. was the person who he has having contact with. So again, yes, I mean this in theory means that a manager is going to be working with you know director of football and and Mun. You would hope rather than having to deal with Levy and uh, and you've got that you know, and other members of the board and. You've got that buffer there, and hopefully, it's sports and football people dealing with each other, right? And, you know, and ideally, from the board itself, you'd get that direction. You know, this is what the type of club we want to be. This is the type of signings we're looking to do. This is the type of football we're looking to do, and then you leave it to the football people to sign players that fit with that, to bring in managers who play the the way we want to play, and you know, and the type of profile, and you know, we sell players. You know, and in these situations, and we get that kind of holistic view of, of what the club is, and and that's what I would hope. You know, the board level sets that direction, and then you've got football people who can who can enact that and bring that through, and then hopefully we don't have this 
this churn all the time. You know, we were talking earlier on about you know the suitability of our squad for playing certain ways. So yet again, if we're going to play in a way that we want our club to play, then we're going to see a huge churn in our squad. And this has happened too much. It's, you know, we don't we it's it's wasted activity because you have to rebuild a squad every time you bring in a new manager in. And we ought to you know, ought to get some consistency. And I know this is something that you've been talking you know, or thinking about quite a bit recently about kind of that. Um, you know, club identity and and yeah. um, you know, who we are and you know, how much our history should kind of impact on you know how we yeah. act now and whether we ought to be you know looking at great players of our past to try and identify great players of the future and all that kind of stuff and, and you know I, Scott Munn's appointment kind of really brings that in as well because you know, part of his job surely must be setting that identity. I don't I don't know, Steph. I mean, what do you what do you think about? All of that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 a such an important point because the you know these phrases are being thrown around with a lot more uh, uh, ferocity. I would say in the last few months, you know, you've got the, the DNA things come up again, club mm. identity. I mean, they've all come up, and and you know, look, uh, uh, and again, I'll never waste an opportunity to spend thirty seconds explaining this to people who don't understand why Pochettino's dismissal was so upsetting. It was because Daniel had everything; he had everything in the palm of his hand. It was sort of like. It was like catching lightning in a bottle. He had it and he let it go. Um, you know, he had everything. So, you know, that that being said, um, you know, football, even since 2019, has has moved at such a fast pace in, in terms of the, the business identity and in terms of in terms of who's winning. I mean, look, we've discussed this many times, right? There's only a set amount of clubs who seem to win all the trophies and they do seem to come from some enormous money. So you've got this this paradox where, you know, we want the, the game to be about glory. We want to play the beautiful game. The beautiful game increasingly requires a shit ton of money and a shit ton of assets, um, which we don't have. And and I just, I, you know, if we keep sticking to these theories of, you know, the 60s, uh, uh, the 80s, you know, uh, but they should form an underpinning of our identity. But we have to accept that there is a commercial reality in football that requires us to make prudent and astute business decisions in order to drive the recruitment that we need to compete with you know the Manchester cities and the Newcastles it's a fine balance but we 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 can't just turn our noses up at business i mean and we do all have a habit of doing that that there is unfortunately that's the ugly side, right? Sorry, I can see your hands up in the corner, slightly I, out of frame. I, I mean, I think there's two different things here. So um, firstly, yes, we're not going to have the resources to compete directly with those. So what we have to do is be run better. We have to, you know, we can't afford to make the number of mistakes that those clubs make in the transfer market because, you know, Man City can buy a player. If it doesn't work out, they can flog them. You know, Man United do this all the time. Their, the, you know, their hit rate is, is, is awful in terms of the success. And we, you know, we get one transfer wrong and we kind of kick ourselves over it. You know, so we've got to be better. And, you know, the way you're better is scouting better, is using data and analytics better, is to, you know, to have your sports science better, to have all these ideas and be at, at the forefront. And I think, you know, when we talked about, yeah, when you talk about Pochettino, certainly on the kind of sports science side and the fitness side, that was the advantage he brought in when he first came to the club. Um, you know, the game has moved on. A lot of clubs are at that same level now. The, you know, the test is, is, you know, is he still got new ideas in, in that area? But 
there's a lot of stuff as a club we can do. We can build, you know, a, a really good, um, you know, analytics um, team. We can we can build people who are doing kind of video analysis. You know, we talk about Brighton and how well run they are. It's, you know, I'd have to try and squeeze it in every bloody week. You know, but we could do that, but on a bigger budget. We can do that better. We can do that with, you know, casting our net wider. We can do that signing, you know, higher profile players, but we just identify and... and and do that properly. We, you know, we, we build the infrastructure so that you can try and bring them through to the first team, um, you know, where they're ready to hit the ground, you know, running and, and, and play well when they come through. And then just picking up on the historical point you make, Steph, I think, you know, when we were talking about this during the week, we were talking, you know, you were asking me the question about, you know, the, the kind of our history and how we played historically and how much of that should have, a, a, you know, an impact on how we play now. And, you know, I don't think, you know, Bill Nick's team didn't play the same way as Birkenshaw's team played and Birkenshaw's team didn't play team didn't play the same as the way that Pochettino's team played because football moves on tactics evolve you know th- th- there's there's changes in the game I think what they had in common was a spirit and there's yes. a spirit of of playing attacking football or you know trying right you know, skillful skillful players playing yes. beautiful attacking football and that's yes. what I want I don't want a photocopy right. of what's happened before if Pochettino comes back I don't want a photocopy of what he was doing eight years ago no Absolutely not. Because it won't work. No, I, 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 look, I completely agree. And I think that this is at the, uh, uh, this should be a definitive point when we talk about club identity. And I think we're, we're somewhat traumatized, uh, uh, by, by the last three appointments, which have been decidedly not playing in that way. And I think what we really, what we're all asking for as a support base is to find is to rediscover the football philosophy we had of of playing attractive football. I mean, I guess it's the I guess that's what everyone wants, but mm-hmm. it is what we've been known for, and and it is what we've been uh, associated with. Uh, you know, and, and that's what we want, and that's why this appointment, this next managerial appointment, is so important. Um, and when we talk about club identity, you know, that here's one thing: I'm not sure I trust Daniel Levy and and the board to understand exactly how that. It gets implemented and happens, and that's where I'm hoping that someone like a Scott Munn, and I don't know, can 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 be the person to be the flag bearer of that and to tell Daniel Levy, look, this is what this is what you need to be doing. This is what this club needs to remember. This is you know, and that's where you can meld the history and our reputation with the very very important job of keeping up with the top clubs in the modern game, both fiscally and and uh, you know, commercial always. I mean, I think Levy, you know, if you go back to that DNA statement, I think I would, uh, ignore kind of the wanky kind of business language. I think actually at the core of it is probably something that we'd broadly agree with or kind of we're roughly saying now. But I think the other problem with Levy is that he gets, he appears to get starstruck and there's a certain type of manager that he seems to get starstruck with. And, you know, I think you see it with Conte, you saw it with Mourinho. And, you know, if we think back to kind of Wande Ramos and, uh, and, and Yo, it's, you know, he, he's, he's got something and then he kind of think, well, oh, you know, you, you know, you're better. Yeah. I'll jump for you. And there's just, yeah. it's happened. It happens, you know, quite frequently and, yeah. or, you know, the wrong voices in the ear lead yeah. him in a certain direction. I mean, that was yes. the thing with, with Ramos, wasn't it? Yes. Absolutely. And, um, so again, you know, I think you'd hope we move away from that and you know, look at, yeah, you know, what, as a club, what do we do well? What have we done well in the last 10 years? Right. What's been successful? Well, and then again, and, we go back and, to capturing lightning in a bottle and, and, but, and, and he had it. And that's but, where but, you hope he can but, find it again, albeit with whoever. 
But it's not just about individuals. It's not just about the coach. It's also about you know bringing you know bringing players through, signing good players, developing players, yes. all of those things. And Pochettino played a hand in that. But there's others who did as well. Absolutely, and, the whole team but, was there together. Yeah. You know, we've got a good academy. We've got some good kids coming through there. We've got you know some who are going to be you know ready pretty soon. And we've got to find a way of bringing them in. We, again, you talk about that kind of squad rebuilding that we need to do. There's there's a lot of work to do there, and the market for selling players at the moment is shot. We're not gonna we're gonna have to struggle to shift a lot of these players. So yeah. we're gonna see players either loaned out or running their contract down because we can't yeah. we there aren't buyers for them outside of the Premier League. That means that money's gonna be tight. We're gonna have to bring players through. So again, that fits. It, I that's kind of one of the things that I identify with. Yeah, and 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 essentially, it also requires us as a support base to to be brave. Because what you and I are agreeing on and what we're talking about doesn't necessarily see instant trophies, instant like titles. You know, it's not about instant. It's about building uh, again with the correct and appropriate philosophy for for how we want to see Tottenham Hotspur play, how we recognise Tottenham Hotspur to be is uh, in in terms of style and what we do, and 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 you know that that might take another two or three years. Given that I think. We've discussed in the past that previous managerial appointments were designed to maybe take advantage of Kane and Son, uh, which we, you know, were unsuccessful in doing, obviously. You know, I hope our support base, if they truly believe in our identity, as you, as you and I have just sort of discussed it, I hope they're brave enough to understand or, well, not even understand, to accept that there is a price to pay for re-establishing that. It's not an instant thing. We can't hit the instant button if, you know, if we want that identity to grow over time and be successful in the long term. If you want short term, fine. Get some, you know, oil nation or whatever, come in and buy a whole bunch of players, whatever, you know. There's a fair chance that the next manager of the club is the manager who is seeing us post Son and Kane or or at the very least, or at the very least, diminished role because they're not able to play as as many minutes. So we're, we're reaching the stage now or very very soon where we're going to have to be less reliant on them like yeah and that's going to be painful it's going to be painful it's going to be strange um and but it is coming and uh yeah i look this discussion is going to go on and on and on um (laughs) especially in the last uh, eight games of the season um as we've established it's nice that these players are fighting for the top four we'll see where it gets We'll be back next week to discuss our game against Bournemouth. Another step, hopefully, towards that top four. Um, thanks, mate. Uh, it, was, uh, it was kind of fun, me and you, just settling in, having a good old natter. Uh, so, yes, folks, you've heard that you will be uh, back with us next week. Yes, we're telling you. You're going to be back with us next week as we discuss our game against Bournemouth. And I think we'll probably be back up to three, won't we? I think Ram's with us next week. Ram's with us next week to keep uh, to keep us uh, in check. Well, me at so. least and my crappy jokes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no metaphors this week. I feel I've let the side down. But should we just end this before I try and create one? Mm. Mm. We got through the cheese section without you doing one, so that was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, don't, don't. It's uh, Go, go, cut it off now. See you next week, guys. <laughs>